Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Well, I think we can all agree that the last year or so has been extraordinary, a global pandemic that seemed to wage war against the human race. Never has the tired expression, it was like some terrible movie, been more overused. Ironically, since one of the minor symptoms has been the unloading of some pretty B-minus movies on various platforms. As I say, an extraordinary year, but not unprecedented. I've been reminded of another period of massive upheaval, the war years of the early 1940s. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Then, as now, the movie output of the 1940s was copious but limited. Fantasy was popular. Escapism was understandably an attractive prospect. So audiences flocked to see films about angels, fairy tales and serials featuring superheroes. Who used this phone last? The girl. She left the connection open so they could hear us. We've got to get her away fast. Captain America. Sound familiar? Hollywood's male stars were mostly employed in morale-boosting action films. Look out, you Nazis. Here come Errol Flynn and John Wayne. But interestingly, the 40s were also a golden era for women's stars. No, I never loved you, Walter, not you or anybody else. I'm rotten to the heart I used you, just as you said. That's all you ever meant to me. Until a minute ago. Well, I couldn't fire that second shot. While men fought on the Hollywood backlots and in many cases in the actual armed forces, the way was made clear for some terrific dramas from Barbara Stanwyck, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford and Ava Gardner. Not to mention the two biggest films on the planet, Judy Garland and The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, starring Vivian Lee and Olivia de Havilland. I've just heard that Ashley was taken prisoner. Ashley a prisoner? Yes. And maybe if he's alive and well, he's on some northern road right now. And maybe some northern woman is giving him a share of her dinner and helping my beloved to come back home to me. Well, right now, the big male movie stars seem missing in action. Where are Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Daniel Craig and Chris Pratt? All waiting for their blockbusters to be allowed into cinemas, I gather. Suddenly, the major action movie stars are often women. Emily Blunt, Scarlett Johansson, Gal Gadot, Charlize Theron, and this week, Angelina Jolie is a firefighter in Those That Wish Me Dead. That eats everything in its path. I would have seen this from the tower. I didn't call it in. They're going to send a chopper to figure out why. Chopper is that way. Back there. You don't get through that. We're going that way. In fact, today is an all-women affair led by a Colombian festival favourite about a woman lawyer, Litigante. 
And there are more women-led projects coming out on Netflix, though they reflect one major difference between today's film scripts and those of the past. Laura had innate breeding. I selected a more attractive hairdress for her. I taught her what clothes were more becoming to her. Through me, she met everyone. Men admired her. Women envied her. Back in the 40s, even the soapiest of melodramas were based loosely on real life. Now, they're often based on other movies. In the case of Woman at the Window, many of them from those days. I'm Anna Fox. There are some things that need to be said about me. I have an anxiety disorder. I live across the street. My mom asked me to give you this. I'm not prepared for visitors. Woman of the Window stars Amy Adams as a tenant confined to her apartment with nothing to occupy her time but her stock of classic film noirs, Laura, say, or the Hitchcock classic Spellbound. But as she gazes into the windows of the neighbouring flats, the obvious blueprint is one of Hitch's greatest films, Rear Window. You let some of the outside come in. Your neighbour from across the street. Pretty sure you're not supposed to be taking these with alcohol. <laughs> My name is Jane Russell. She's become a friend. On paper, a woman at the window looks like a fail-safe Hollywood A picture. Director Joe Wright of Atonement and Anna Karenina fame. A script by award-winning playwright Tracy Letts, based on a best-selling book. And a dynamite cast. Amy Adams, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Gary Oldman and Julianne Moore. How could it fail? Like your earrings. Oh, thanks. A gift from an old boyfriend. Does your husband mind? Our family's complicated. And for a while it doesn't. Anna may have a fear of leaving the apartment, but she's visited by two of the neighbours across the way, the sensitive son and the possibly victimised wife, Julianne Moore. And then one night she hears a scream. Is murder afoot or is it merely the side effects of the meds she's taking? Woman at the Window is an old-fashioned page-turner of a movie. It rushes from one set piece to another with characters carefully transformed from their rear window originals. Now the crusty Thelma Ritter housekeeper is a male tenant in the downstairs flat, while the likeable but sceptical white male cop has been split into two. One likeable, one sceptical. 911. My neighbour Jane, she's been stabbed. Detective Little, NYPD. Where's Jane? Mr. Russell believes that you made a mistake. You have never met my wife. Ma'am, you all right? There are unexpected switcheroos, one so drastic that it almost derails the whole narrative of Woman at the Window. The second, so unlikely that several reshoots were called for to try and keep the audience on side. The worst thing was that until then I was rather enjoying it in an airport book sort of way, from back when there were international airports. I'm not crazy. I know what I saw. They're all hiding something. Oh, you, you will not never have my mother. Stop watching our house. 
But even a cast as appealing as this can only do so much with a plot that's so loosely knit that it starts to unravel the moment you ask any questions at all. The good news is the original rear window is still available and I might end up watching it tonight. The doctor said that your meds can cause hallucinations. I'm not hallucinating. I think there's somebody in my house. Also on Netflix is another film that couldn't be more movie referential if it tried. It's called The Mitchells vs. The Machines, a millennial mashup of two tried and true formulae. There's the robot apocalypse, a staple since the first Terminator movie, blended with the wacky American family comedy. The last humans must be here somewhere. Wait. They're coming. Is that a burnt orange 1993 station wagon? Or is it? The DNA of these comedies is long and winding. American Dad and the Simpsons, the Griswolds and the raucous National Lampoon comedies, back to all those TV family sitcoms of the 50s and 60s. But one thing they all had in common was the time-honoured motto, Father is an Idiot. Why do you need all that to take me to the airport? I cancelled your plane ticket to college. We are going to drive you to school on a cross-country road trip as a family. Our heroine is Katie, who can't wait to leave home and go to, inevitably, film school. She spends much of her time on her smartphone, as do the rest of the family. Mom, Junior and, well, not Dad. He can barely switch his on. What a loser. How about we put our phones down and we can make ten seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. Dad's the sort of person who wants everyone to switch off their devices and who forces everyone to go on a road trip together and perforce become a happy family again. But Katie is more interested in the latest release from Silicon Valley. A tech mogul has just scrapped the formerly indispensable PAL smartphone for a newer model. But don't worry, nothing can go wrong, he promises. We hear a pal about to drop our biggest invention yet. Meet the helper bot. We promise you they will never, ever turn even. Mom, what is that? The Mitchells versus The Machines stocks its voice casting with, I'm told, plenty of social media celebrities. Even the dog is voiced by a pug who once went viral on YouTube. And to play the villainous robot leader, they hired, of all people, Olivia Colman. I suspect they had to be told who she was. A big deal in England, you say? Has she won anything? She's won everything. Well, sign her up. For my family, our greatest challenge... Probably the robot apocalypse. Attention all robots. Capture every single person on the planet. Non-tech-savvy people won't need to be told Olivia is by far the best thing in the Mitchells versus the Machines. The worst thing is Dad, played as Homer Simpson without the charm or the jokes by the often annoying Danny McBride. You may remember him from such movies as Angry Birds 2, Sausage Party and Zeroville. Greetings, humans. Technology rising up. Sayonara. 
Robots roaming the streets. The target audience for the Mitchells versus the Machines is reportedly enthusiastic about it. It has, after all, got everything. Pop culture references up the wazoo, guest appearances by Instagram favourites like Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, and plenty of jokes from the golden age of raucous American comedy. If you think this is for you, it probably is. The rest of us will just have to wait for the next Pixar movie. That's my girl! Then we just might be weird enough to save the world. All right, hands in. Oh, no, he licked my tongue. Film festival favourite last year, Litigante, has no big names attached. In fact, it comes from a country whose movie output has been aimed, as far as I can tell, almost entirely at the local audience, Colombia, South America. It's about a lawyer and mother, Sylvia, who's having a bad year. The bane of her life, as is often the case in these films, is her pig-headed mother, Letitia. Letitia's cancer has returned and the treatment required has become, in her opinion, more trouble than it's worth. Sylvia is at her wit's end trying to keep her mother from doing anything desperate. Her one weapon is her young son Antonio, who Letitia adores. But Antonio is having his own problems at school, constantly bullied for only having one parent. Yo sé que su mamá estaba enferma. Yo sé lo de su niñito. Obviamente le, le está pasando algo. Me dicen que no tengo papá. But these are ongoing problems for Sylvia, and she could probably handle them if it weren't for new trouble at work. Her boss is clearly a crook and working for an equally corrupt Latin American government. With every possibility the law will come calling, Sylvia is ordered to face up to the media and give them the old razzle-dazzle. Y yo me conduelo, pero... Yo llevo 40 años construyendo mi imagen. Y si no la conservamos, el alcalde nos va a quitar de acá a todos. But right now, Sylvia is in no mood to give anyone any sort of razzle-dazzle, least of all campaigning TV journalist Abel, who gives her a hard time on air. But things can get better in unexpected ways. Sylvia meets Abel later when they're both, so to speak, off-duty, and one thing leads to another. She particularly warms to him because he gets on so well with young Antonio. Sylvia and Abel take Antonio to a motor racing event and it turns out to be Antonio's favourite thing in the world. But, as always, you can't have everything. Sylvia's mother, Letitia, takes an instant dislike to Abel. How can you trust the man who humiliated Sylvia so publicly? Vivir o morirme. A mí eso me tiene sin cuidado. Yo no le tengo miedo a la muerte. Tú se lo explicas a tu nieto de cuatro años que su abuela se va a dejar morir y que la gente se deja morir cuando tiene miedo. Litigante is a deceptively well-structured story. None of the threads seem connected at the start, and even when they do, there's no sense of any manipulation going on. In fact, the script came from two French writers before it was picked up by director Franco Lolli and relocated to beautiful Bogota, Colombia. Hey, 
novia, novia. Tengo un hijo. ¿Y qué? ¿Cómo es el cuento de Antonio y el papá? No, no, el papá de Antonio. It's a film that rests firmly on the edgy charm of its two female leads, as it turns out played by Lolly's sister and mother. Letitia Gomez as Letitia is volatile and unpredictable, one minute angry and determined, the next twisted round the little finger of her grandson. The amor que me da es que le pretendan meter de padrastro a un tipo como ese. No se asuste. Yo no estoy asustado, no se asuste, nosotros no hemos hecho nada de mal. Que yo ya no sé qué está pasando en esta oficina. And as Sylvia, Carolina Sanin is impossible to take your eyes off. Tough, tender, loving, and the one person in the movie that everyone, good and bad, relies on to sort things out. The story is, will she finally find time for herself? Carolina is the main reason to watch Litigante, but there are lots of others as well. I agree with last year's festival audiences. Definitely worth seeing. No, Sylvia, es una persona increíble, una mamá increíble. Now, I need to come clean from the start of this. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Angelina Jolie, despite, well, despite everything, despite some terrible movies for a start. Lara Croft, The Tourist, Maleficent, which was probably her biggest hit, but was pretty dire. What happens next? You look it right in the eye. In Angelina's defense, apart from her early Oscar winner Girl Interrupted, I can only really offer glorified B-movies like Salt, Mr and Mrs Smith and a surprisingly touching turn in the Kung Fu Panda films. And somewhere in between there's a no-nonsense thriller called Those Who Wish Me Dead. Why'd they put you in a fire tower? Well, I'm just lucky, I guess. Angie's always at her best playing someone a bit damaged who needs to redeem herself. Here she plays Hannah, a smoke jumper. That's a firefighter who's dropped to the edge of a forest fire. I believe it really is a thing. Last year, she misread the conditions and three trampers died. the wind wrong I should have gone to them then you've been dead too that's our job Hannah's best buddy Ethan tries to cheer her up, but we all know it's going to take more than a friendly snap out of it. It's going to take another kid in trouble, a blood-stained young chap called Connor, who arrives at her lonely lookout tower. Hey, stop! I'm not going to hurt you. I want to see where the blood's coming from. It's not my blood. You in trouble? 
What Hannah doesn't know, though we do, is that Connor's dad was on the run, pursued by two sinister and dangerous assassins. The car crashed, Connor escaped with some valuable something or other, don't worry about it, and is looking for help. Angelina, are you that help? Will you step up to save the kid? Anyone else in trouble? My dad said, if anything happened, I should find someone I could trust. Are you someone I can trust? Well, while we try and guess the answer to this mystery, writer-director Taylor Sheridan decides we should at least get an inkling why these people are chasing Connor. They're a mixed bunch of bad guys. Game of Thrones veteran Aidan Gillen, nice guy Nicholas Holt in a rare villainous role, and briefly as the big bad American family favourite, Tyler Perry. We promise absolutes. Act accordingly. Those men, they came for your father. Did you see their faces? Cut you down. Well, it's bad enough that these ratbags are pursuing Connor through the woods with Angelina, who's armed only with a small hatchet. And let's face it, we have seen this old witness plot before, dozens of times. So let's make Those Who Wish Me Dead a bit more interesting. Let's set the woods on fire. Give me something else to worry about. The Florida forest is tinder dry, and once it goes up, there's no way through it. So there's the bad guys behind them, a raging forest fire in front of them, and only one damaged firefighter to protect the kid. On the plus side, that firefighter is Angelina Jolie, of course. Listen. You're going to run? Run for a long and you're going to keep running. All right, it seems pretty predictable when you put it like that. Once the clockwork storyline has been wound up, all you have to do is let it go, you'd think. But writer-director Taylor Sheridan, despite the evidence currently before us, is no idiot. He wrote Sicario and Hell or High Water, which were pretty good, albeit directed by other people. That eats everything in its path. You really want to die for this kid? Sheridan and his special effects people can certainly put an impressive forest fire up on the screen, and some of the stunts are genuinely gobsmacking. If Those Who Wish Me Dead peters out a little before the end, well, that's standard for many thrillers. And unlike several movies I've seen recently, I was in no danger of nodding off halfway through. Any film that can say that gets an extra star and a half immediately. Take a deep breath. The dividing line between this week's four titles is to what extent they were dependent on past, better movies. The Mitchells versus the Machines and The Woman at the Window quoted from films compulsively. But in Litigante and Those Who Wish Me Dead, none of the characters even owned a TV, let alone a movie library, and were all the better for it. And on the principle of one movie at a time, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.